Hello, everybody, and this is Tamsin Wolf again with episode nine of my podcast, Bullseye. And this one is called The Birthday Party. And thanks for sticking with me so far. Or, as always, chuffed to see that I'm on my little graph thing where I can see who's listening. There's a lot of the same people every time. And I really appreciate that. And I've actually changed now. I just wanted to remember to say this from having a website. I haven't actually got a website in conjunction with the podcast now, but I have got a Facebook page, which is just easier to operate all around. And it's called My Bullseye Podcast with Tamsin Wolf. But I think it just says with Tamsin. I'm not quite sure. But anyway, I'm sure that'll pop up if you Google it or look on Facebook. It's yeah, My Bullseye Podcast with Tamsin or with Tamsin Wolf. I should have checked that. But yeah, that's the place you can go just for little updates and little bits of story here and there and when there'll be giveaways and stuff, and also just sort of interspersed amongst the posts on that page, the page you need to go to or the link you need to go to to become a patron of the show. So if any of you feel you want to click on that, I would be ever so chuffed. Um, Yeah, it's just sort of on the page, like it's probably, you know, three or four posts down and then eight down and then 12 down. Every so often I post it again in between other posts. So it'll just say, yeah, something like, become a patron I think it says on it and if you click that and it's just to contribute to me getting this show further and doing a better job of it and yeah as as little as a dollar a month is absolutely wonderful and you can break the agreement or whatever it is anytime you like you don't have to stick with it so it's just yeah I really appreciate the few more I've had in the last few weeks because it just makes everything so much easier and I feel so supported. So thanks for that. And also, before I forget, uh, I just wanted to draw the winner of the book How Many More Women by Jennifer Robinson and Kina Yoshida. And that is going out to Misha Williamson, who has – sorry, I didn't have a sound set up for that, so I had to do it myself – yeah, Misha Williamson, thank you for your support and for – she is actually a patron of the show too, so that's a double whammy bit of goodness. And that will be sent out to you sometime this week, so hopefully it won't take long. And thanks to the people who did enter that, I'm going to do more giveaways as I go along. You know, whenever I see something really good that I think could be appreciated by a lot of you, I'll do a little giveaway with it. Anyway, here we go. I hope you're all well. And again, as always, I always apologise for taking a long time in between drinks to get to the next episode. And I think I've had nauseam explain the reasons for that. But I do apologise because I know it's a little bit long in between and I'm doing my best to rectify that as I get more confident. But yeah, this one, the birthday party, is quite a convoluted story. So again, I struggle a little bit to put it in a real coherent kind of way so it makes sense kind of thing but I'm absolutely doing my best to do that that I also realized that I have skipped out a whole not just an episode of abuse in my life but it's not exactly that I'd forgotten about it but it was just that it was sort of on another timeline almost is what it seems like and I realized that I've completely skipped over it and haven't even mentioned it but all the time between the ages of again, sort of, I don't know, nine, nine to 12 or 13, 
yeah, about then, I reckon. When I would visit my father, my actual birth father, who isn't my horrible stepfather, but my birth father, who was living in Newcastle at this time. So again, I don't know, maybe four or five hours away from where I lived at the time. And he had married another woman who there's nothing neither here nor there to say about her. She was who she was, but she never hurt me in any way, physically anyway. And she had two kids. And along yeah, the timeline of those years, in the sort of little bits of time I spent with my father, I was being molested at the same time by my stepbrother, who was the son of the woman that my dad had married. And he was a few years older than me. And there were quite a lot of instances of quite flat out abuse with him or, or molestation is probably what I would call it. And you know, a lot of sexual harassment and a lot of things that were quite alarming that he did. He definitely wasn't right in the head in many ways, I think, looking back on it. And I think, I mean, I don't know, there's no way to diagnose what could have been going on there, but I think there were a lot of things. And as usual, I always make the caveat there that doesn't make any difference, you know, to any action anyone takes and it does certainly doesn't excuse it. But yeah, he clearly wasn't quite all there. And he was really awful to me in a lot of ways. It was kind of like he was obviously a bit obsessed or something with me and would do things like, you know, stare at me in my sleep and watch me through the keyhole in the door when I was in the bathroom and I woke up more than once to, to being dry humped by him. And yeah, it was just not a pleasant experience, but I just sort of just hit me the other day. I thought, I haven't even mentioned that one. So that's just a whole other area that I don't think I'll go into any more specifically. But so this is all leading up this story now, uh, leading up to the very, very end days of when I actually lived with my stepfather and my mum and my little brother. And I uh, think if, if you've been listening to the other episodes, you'll remember the one about the incident in the shower when my stepfather sort of bodily pulled me out of the shower and assaulted me. And this was very much around that time. But to my recollection, it was very close in time, but I would have thought that that one was slightly before this one. So but the reason why I've left this one or sort of swap the times around a little bit, even if it was probably only by a few weeks or months even, was because this was the the clincher that kind of led to me being taken from that house finally. And that's why it's a, you know, quite an important episode, I think, just to sort of get to the point of how I got out of there. But it was my 13th birthday and it, it had been my 13th birthday the day before. So the night of my birthday, we'd had a bit of a birthday little celebration thing and a little dinner just with family members as far as I can remember. So there probably would have been my mum and my lovely stepfather, me, my sister, maybe my sister's partner, and just on the off chance that there was um, my stepfather's two daughters were there as well. He's two, you know, full birth daughters, sort of thing that he hardly ever saw and hardly had anything to do with. And it was just sort of weird, I think, that they were there at the time and they just happened to be there on my birthday. And they were lovely girls as far as I can remember. And, you know, absolutely did 
incredibly well, I think, to be as lovely and together as they were because they must have grown up. Yeah, obviously they grew up with the same man I did at some point, so I don't really know what happened to them in that way. But they were never anything but good to me, which was really nice. But yeah, just so happened they were there. So I had been given lots of lovely presents. I'd been given by one of his daughters a, a really big ceramic money box. And I just remember I loved it so much. It was kind of a funny little gnome kind of looking thing or uh I think that's what you'd call it, a little bit of a gnome-like character. And I don't know, it might have been about 40 centimetres tall or something, and I just really, really loved it. It had a stopper in the bottom that you could take out when it was full of the coins. And and I remember she filled it up with some coins as well to get me started with it. It was a really sweet present. And I'd been given lots and lots of records, lots of LP records, and that was my favourite thing to get. And I clearly remember I got a David Bowie one and I got a Culture Club one and I got an NXS one, I'm pretty sure, and a T-Rex one. And those are the four clear ones I remember having that I really, really loved. And I had been given a few other things like um, a couple of lovely books. I always loved books and there's a point to why I'm telling you this about why I, I'm telling you about what I got and everything. But yeah, there was just my, like my room just seemed to be sort of filled with lovely new things that I'd gotten that evening. And I was really happy and we had a nice time, had a nice cake and they sang to me and, and all was well as far as I can remember. But I just remember that as always, as always happened at any event of this nature, that my stepfather got really, really drunk and as was per usual and he just ended up being really nasty you know, to everybody and nasty to my mum, nasty to me about probably nothing, nothing that would have been, you could, you know, nothing you could pinpoint or anything like that, but he was just nasty all the time. And I just remember this night just, I think it was because of the, you know, when you're sort of on a bit of an adrenaline high and stuff when you're, have your birthday as a kid and you know I'd been given all the presents and I was really really happy and then I just remember just being you know slammed down to earth emotionally by my stepfather doing whatever he had done that night I don't really know what it was but you know just being a dick again as you normally was and I just remember like the contrast it was always just such a contrast anytime you felt happy at this time of life you know it was you all just knew you were just it was like a ticking time bomb of what was going to change it and when and how long you had to be a bit happy and there wasn't ever very long so I remember going to bed that night and for some reason it's not that it was unusual because me and my best friend at the time my best school friend did used to write a lot of notes to each other it was in the days before mobile phones and stuff, obviously. So we would often write notes and stick them in each other's bags at school. And we were always doing that. She's still got a box of notes, as far as I know, and funny letters from me with funny drawings and stuff. Um, We were a funny pair. And for whatever reason, this night I decided just to write like a proper, you know, several pages worth of letter to her, just telling her. I just remember it was all just a very cry of despair or a cry for help kind of thing where I just said I absolutely hated my stepfather so much and I I didn't see how I was going to be able to live 
like I was anymore and I just wanted to die and I or or I remember saying I wished something would happen to him that was probably more so what I wanted and I know that in my troubled mind at the time around that time too that I more than once contemplated what I would have to do to to actually end his life I I'm not proud of saying that and I'm not laughing because it's funny it's just because it's a very trippy thought to have now but I I couldn't see a way out or happiness for any one of us unless he died unless he was out of the picture I just couldn't see where it would ever end so but I also remember just saying that I was quite prepared that I would end my life if that didn't happen if he wasn't to be taken out of the picture and I just I wasn't really ranting or raving I don't think I think it was just a very very sad very genuine heartfelt letter just telling her how I felt and just saying I don't know what to do anymore and I'm so sad and you know life is just too hard with all this and anyway so I I wrote it and I just remember putting it kind of inside a book or inside one of the books I'd gotten for my birthday I think and just sort of leaving it on the side of the bed like on the little side table next to the bed and um, fast forward to the next day and I don't know where I was or where I'd been or anything but I think I'd been out briefly and I got home and went to my bedroom and saw that the letter wasn't there it had been taken and my, I just remember my blood just ran cold because I just thought oh my god who's got it and who's reading it and because in our household, too, you sort of got to remember, too, there was never very much interest in anything I was doing, you know, any time. So I just wouldn't have even probably thought or suspected that they'd even be bothered going in there and, it's you know, not be bothered reading anything I'd written, especially because I was always writing something. And so I just didn't expect that, you know, it would be discovered in any way, shape or form. And when... No, I was going to say I went to ask, but I didn't. I was going to go and ask where it was. And just as I was contemplating that, my stepfather just came flying, more or less, into my room with the letter in his hand and just calling me every possible name under the sun, the C word, the B word, the S word, the every word you can think of. He was just shouting at me and just saying I was an absolute bitch and uh, he he hates me as much as I hate him and blah 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 it just went on and on and got more and more horrible and frightening and then he proceeded to just pick up every single thing that was in my little bedroom and every single gift I'd been given on my birthday and just smashed it smashed them all apart so he picked up I remember the hardest thing to watch was the LPs the records that he picked him up and just broke him in the middle and smashed them into pieces and ripped the cardboard covers up. He ripped up the books I'd been given and um, I get a bit teary with this one. It was a horrible experience. And he smashed a little sort of figurine I'd been given that was kind of a little, I don't know, like a, I don't know what it, what it was especially, but a, some little figurine that was a fairy or a little girl or something. <sighs> I've blocked that out, whatever it was. But and I just remember his big moment was he came over to get the the big uh, ceramic money box that I'd been given by his daughter, and picked it up 
and just did an overhand throw with two hands, kind of thing, an overhand, overhead throw, not overhand throw, over his head throw, just full on um, at my head through the ceramic money box, which by the absolute grace of everyone who was helping me that day just must have missed my face and my head by half an inch, I reckon, if there was half an inch in it. And because I ducked just quickly enough for it to miss me, but he was definitely aiming for the face and it just smashed on the wall above my head into like a thousand pieces. It couldn't be fixed or anything. It was just ruined and... And then he was really angry because he had missed my head. I remember that, just yeah, calling me an effing bitch for moving so he c- couldn't get me. And anyway, this is, I know this is a horrible story. I don't – and every time I've, it sounds like I'm laughing, I'm really not. But I think anyone who's had these traumatic experience knows that it's almost like a nervous little chuckle you do occasionally because it's just so unbelievable to look back on. You can't believe these things really happened. And the worst of it was he just absolutely went insane. He was just, he was insane anyway, but just went crazy, breaking everything in my room, throwing everything across the room. And and the worst of it was, is that in the midst of all this happening, I can clearly recall my mother coming to my doorway, the doorway of the bedroom, and just standing really still and quietly in the doorway of the bedroom just watching it all happen and saying and doing absolutely nothing and I'll never forget that that was by far the worst part of it of just not understanding how she wasn't trying to stop him how she wasn't calling the police how it was like very hard to describe but she was almost zombie like which again I don't mean in any way to excuse her for what she did and didn't do because she was just a very very slack mother I don't mean to say that there was something wrong with her to the point where she couldn't get help or couldn't help me she could have if she'd wanted to I'm quite sure there was I don't when I say zombie like I don't mean that she's just having some sort of turn but it was just this look of absolute like you know this is just how our lives are now and I you know I'm not going to do anything to stop it this is just how we live and almost just like it was so, these things had become such everyday occurrences. I mean, not quite to this extent, but they had to the point where there was just nothing else to say or do. And it was the most hopeless, desolate feeling I've ever felt. And really did add to my very you know, serious loathing of my mother on many levels too, because I'll just never forget my desperate screams and cries for her to help me. And I honestly thought again, it was another time when I thought he was just going to kill me. He he was so furious and so determined to hurt me physically that I thought that could have been the end. And the one of the last things he shouted was about the tippy-tapping on the floor. Then the staffy's just gone tippy-tapping with his claws along the wooden floor under the table I'm recording on. Hello, boy. He likes to sit with me while I'm doing this. And... Yeah, one of the last things he shouted at mum and I was that I was to get out and if I didn't get out, he would kill me. I remember he said that if if, he, she, if you don't get her out of here, this is not her home anymore. He was saying to mum in regards to me, saying I will kill her. I've, she's not welcome here. This isn't her home. And it was just like an absolute... I was just, the feeling of it was just like, I think everyone in the room, like, 
my stepfather, my mum and myself kind of knew that there was a point of no return at that point and that something absolutely dreadful was inevitably going to happen unless something drastically changed. And I, to this day, just believe that I eventually would have been killed in that house. I There's too many times when you know I feel like I escaped it where I just look back now and just think it was so much closer than I think I realised it was. And there was just this horrible feeling of impending doom just the whole time. And so what happened after that was because there had been that line in the sand sort of drawn at that stage that I think, to my recollection, this is sometimes in my child's brain where I think I might get times a little bit muddled up and stuff, but I reckon it was only like a matter of weeks to a few months after that, if that, I think that mum decided that she would get me out of there, thank goddess, and sort of secretly, I think, started looking for another place for us to live, or what I thought was going to be a place for us all to live. My mum, my brother, my little brother and I, I had no idea what was coming after this, but I still had faith enough in my mum to think that she was going to look after me and I'm getting very teary in this episode it's a very hard memory she had no intention of looking after me after this but I didn't realize that yet and sorry so yeah the story for the next episode that comes up is the tale of her getting me out of that place and trying to find somewhere for me to go in between you know, leaving our home, leaving my home that wasn't much of a home and getting to the new one that she hadn't actually secured yet so she could only afford a really, you know, probably some little run-down flat I would have imagined she had in mind because we didn't have any money and it would have just been a rental flat. We always had rentals and, uh, yeah, I think that she was just looking for the cheapest thing she could find to get me out of there. And the story leading up to me getting there is, I think, by far the most heartbreaking of all the stories that just breaks my heart. Even even if it was me I'm talking about, it breaks my heart just on a level of thinking that poor little girl, that little girl that nobody wanted, absolutely nobody, and that still plays out in my life now. I'm sure it does. The whole trauma of not being wanted and feeling like you're never really wanted by anyone. It doesn't go away when things of this magnitude happen, and I'm sure there's a lot of you that will relate to that one as well, just fundamentally feeling unwanted. I'll talk about that whole thing one day. But, yeah, the story leading up to actually moving, uh, it's very sad and it will be hard for me to tell the story. So, again, I'm going to try and get that one happening reasonably soon and there's definitely trigger warnings with that one of just not so much abuse, I wouldn't say. There wasn't physical or sexual child abuse in the next episode. There's not, so that's not that particular trigger. But it's just a very deeply depressing time and a depressing episode and there won't be many bells and whistles with it, just the story as raw as it is because I can't think of any other way to tell it. So I hope you'll stick with me for that and... Yeah, that shouldn't be long, and that'll be episode 10. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know what's going on with my voice, but it's doing its thing again, its nervy thing. 
So thank you again for listening and this has been the ninth episode, the birthday party. And yeah, I've also I just mentioned the Facebook page again, my Bullseye Podcast with Tams and Wolf. And it's got the patron page on the page that you can click the link on if you'd like to become a patron. And I would so appreciate it if you would do that because the more the merrier and the support is just awesome. So thank you and I'll talk to you all soon. And I love you to bits and bye. Bye.